Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. I'm Emran Hughes, editor of Insurance Post, and today I'm joined by Fenchurch Law's Joanna Grant and the Chartered Insurance Institute's Matthew Connell to talk about making business interruption insurance fit for post-pandemic purpose. Today on the Insurance Post podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Joanna Grant, partner at Fenchurch Law, and Matthew Connell, Director of Policy and Public Affairs at the Chartered Insurance Institute. They're going to share their views on how to make sure business interruption insurance is fit for post-pandemic purpose. Hi, Joanna and Matthew. Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. Hi. Hello, Emma. So, Matthew, what lessons have the has the industry learned from the FCA's business interruption test case? Yeah, so uh, I guess the, the the first one was around around clarity and um, personally, I think that uh, some of the insurers that fell foul of the of, of the test case um, were possibly trying to to, to be um, clear and transparent, um, but but you know the, the road to hell is is paved with good intentions. So, one criticism um, before the pandemic um, was that insurers were. Uh, leaving their terms and conditions um, a little bit too loose, um, so so in the end, um, you only really knew if you if if you had a valid claim once once the event took place because the the, the terms and conditions were, were so loose that they gave the insurer too much uh, leeway, and so I think some insurers uh, looked at, at what had happened in the in the past and and tried to be really as specific as they could about when they would and and, and wouldn't pay out, and and obviously they they were looking at. Um, food food poisoning outbreaks uh, rather than thinking about a global uh, lockdown which had, had never happened before and you know we everyone knew that, that the pandemic was going to happen everyone knew about Spanish flu and, and that it was going to happen again at some point but what nobody knew was that there was the, the way the best way to mitigate it the best way to, to deal with it was through a prolonged uh, lockdown that 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 had never happened uh, before certainly not on a national scale or on a, on a global scale uh, and and I think that was that was the issue um, insurers were were trying to be very specific about when when they'd pay out um, with an outbreak of, of, of food poisoning um, but but those words uh, then then uh, counted against them when it when it when it came to a, a pandemic and, and and lockdown so I think that's that's the, the the big the big learning is is around transparency, around simplicity, uh, around how the, the the product is 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 described, um, but but looking to, to to write a policy and write um, explanations with an eye to the future and not with an eye to the past. Joanna, would you agree that's kind of one of the key takeaways about kind of the wordings of policies um, in light of the pandemic? Absolutely, I think business interruption insurance has always been something of an afterthought, perhaps. And I think at the time of policy placement, insufficient consideration was really ever given to to how the wordings might operate. And also really to to the importance and distinction that very slight differences in the wording are going to have when the courts bring their scrutiny to bear on those wordings. And I don't think anybody, either side, insurer side, policyholder side or brokers, really had uh, any insight into how this might fall out or how, in fact, even three years on, these cases would still be rumbling through the courts looking at the, the very impact of small minutiae and small wording differences and the, 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 the big impact that can have on the extent or availability of cover under the policy. Obviously, as is demonstrated by the Insurance Post um, homepage, 
there are still court cases rumbling through the courts. Joanna, what further clarity do you feel will be delivered to the industry by these court cases? And also, how many more cases can we expect in this area? Right, the short answer to that, Emma, is, gosh, what a lot. What a lot of cases are still coming up. Mm. I mean, just to run through, uh, perhaps in order that they'll be, uh, we'll be seeing them. Uh, first up, this, this autumn, uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll, we'll see the Stonegate and various eateries appeals. They're looking at aggregation, additional increased cost of working, and furlough. I think furlough is the really big one here. It's the one with the big financial implications. But equally, and as we just touched on, it's a marsh resilience wording. Will that translate across to policyholders on other wordings? We'll have to see. We've got the um, the, the, the preliminary issues hearings in the non-damage denial of access cases. That's Corbyn and King looking at um, the actions of police statutory authority following danger or disturbance. Um, that's again this autumn. Going into next year, we'll have at-the-premises hearings. That's the appeal. Now, what's interesting there is the clarity it isn't bringing is around what you actually need to show uh, by way of evidence to show that you had a case of COVID at your premises. So on the one hand, we'll have the appeal that a certainty will bring. On the other hand, there will still be remaining loose ends. We've also got this autumn, the International Entertainment and Alliance case. That's looking at policing authority. And we also have heard rumblings that there is a new set of case-managed cases coming before the courts next year against QIC, looking at immediate vicinity. So, um, yes, still a lot out there and still a lot to come. Mm, and I, and obviously, um, grabbing people's attention, um, even though we're at this, po- at this um, stage when we're recording the podcast, three and a half years on from the first lockdown. I mean, uh, Matthew... The CII has a public trust index. Mm. What impact have these ongoing business interruption court cases had on the industry's reputation? Well, it has had an impact. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, uh, and, and, and what we saw uh, early in, uh, in lockdown um, was, a, was a big spike uh, in, in um, what we measure is the gap between expectations and, and reality. Uh, and, and one area that we look at is, is what we call um, respect uh, for, for, for customers. And in the SME space, um, they, they felt um, that, that they were being treated uh, more, as, more as with suspicion or, 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 or potential fraudsters than they were being treated like um, customers. So um, questions like, you know, is my insurer uh, trying to avoid paying out? Or, but, but even more significantly, does my insurer treat me with with, with compassion um, that there, there was a spike where where that gap between expectation and reality um, grew quite 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 dramatically um, and and what we've done we've obviously with with lockdown coming and business interruption being so important we started measuring customer satisfaction for for, for insurance uh, uh, business interruption uh, uh, as well as you know more common areas like property and and, and, and liability um, and and going going forward since um, uh, since since lockdown, uh, it's it's undoubted that that the um, customer satisfaction levels for for business interruption have been uh, a few percentage points lower than than for other insurance um, products. Um, but what I would say is, I think the the, the test case has. Uh, helped to draw something of a line under uh, uh, under things in terms of um, 
uh, consumer perceptions that the spike that we saw in terms of uh, claimants gap between expectations and reality has, has reduced again um, uh, but but what, what what's what's preoccupying SMEs now is um, speed of claims um, speed of, of, of delivering uh, on, on claims uh, and obviously that that in, in part goes back to, to to the issues where where you know payments aren't 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 being made because these uh, litigation is, is carrying on for so long. I mean, Joanne, you, you did a wonderful job there of covering some of the kind of issues that are kind of being tr- are dr- being drilled down into with these court cases. Uh, why are they so important for the industry in terms of kind of offering clarity to the industry in terms of how they should be wording future policies, but also how are insurers adapting policies and ensuring that brokers are in ha- having enhanced conversations with corporates to ensure that BI covered today, you know, as Matt touched on there, that the um, the expectation is met by the reality mm. of what the policy actually covers. Thanks, Emma. And I certainly hope that those enhanced conversations are being had. And I think if that is one positive that can come out of it, um, I'd like to see that being one of the, the positives if, if those conversations are taking place. And if we can get to a position where there's a greater alignment between the cover that the insurer thinks it's providing and the cover that the policyholder thinks that it's getting. And I think that disjunct was brought into relief by by the pandemic and by these cases. And I think if I can give uh, one particular example from a case we've not touched on yet called Bellini that is particularly important here is that what's important to realise about business interruption is it's triggered by damage. But a lot of the endorsements are non-damage based endorsements. So for example, the, the notifiable disease at the premises cover is, is, is triggered by um, uh, not by damage But then if your policy requires a damage trigger, you have a mismatch. Now, the intention, I think people would say, is the intention is that that non-damage endorsement should kick in without the need for there to be damage. But if the policy doesn't say that, then you're going to have a mismatch. And that's going to result in the policyholder not getting the cover that they think they're entitled to. And I think the fact that a spotlight has been shone on that discrepancy, for example, is something that will be a feature of uh, those enhanced conversations that you mention and that will hopefully result in a tightening up of wordings that will benefit everybody by bringing that clarity that was lacking. Matt, do you think it's also, I mean, it's, it's, it's all too often dwelled upon some of the negative sides of the pandemic, but it has perhaps encouraged brokers and their commercial clients to have more conversations about the value of insurance and making sure that people are fully aware of what is and isn't covered by a policy. Do you think it has had that impact in terms of encouraging more deeper, more granular conversations about how a business operates and what various caveats within the cover may or may not apply? Absolutely, and and I think one one area of, of, of really good practice, even even before lockdown, um, was was an understanding I think by a lot of uh, a lot of professional brokers um, that that their service is as much a, a risk advice and risk management service as it is a, a transactional. Uh, um, recommending and, and renewing insurance um, service. So for example, uh, even before lockdown, some brokers were changing the way they structure conversations with clients. So they'd talk about the uninsurable risks first and how clients were going to manage and mitigate those those uninsurable risks and then moving on to um, the, the actual kind of more transactional um, 
a business as usual conversation around renewing insurance. And, and I think that's really important because I think if you if you offer insurance as a, as a solution and then right at the end of the conversation say, oh, but by the way, all these things aren't covered, people don't, don't aren't listening by that stage. They don't want to hear about mm. why why the thing they've just signed up to isn't isn't the total solution. But if you if you have a, a risk management conversation with clients and talk about that that mitigation, that's such a fantastically valuable service that you've delivered even before you get to the to the product, and then the product is really filling the gaps around uh, around the, the the risk mitigation uh, measures. So absolutely, I think I think brokers have been thinking very deeply about this, and and there's elements of good practice that's more around perhaps the soft skills than the than the technical knowledge that's really important mm. i mean as as has been covered so wonderfully by both of you that bi is still with those court cases rumbling through it is continuing to change joanna do you feel therefore bi policies and the services around them will continue to evolve as those cases are resolved and insurers reflect on what is and isn't covered by the policies that they have today? Absolutely Emma, it's very much a work in progress but I think the output and the outcome at the end of the day will be policies that are more fit for purpose and a greater understanding on the part of both the policyholder and the insurer of what they can expect. And would you agree Matt that you know BI policies today are more fit for post-pandemic purpose than perhaps they were before or perhaps because obviously there has been that kind of disagreement Yes, I mean, there's been a huge work uh, in, in clarity. Um, at the CII, we did a, a, a good practice guide around around transparency. Um, and I think there are maybe one or two areas still to, 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 to look at. I think the point you made about, um, about um, uh, uh, the damage versus uh, interruption. So, so one thing on our trans- uh, good practice guide, as well as saying that all policies should be able to read by somebody with a reading age of, of 13 um, also said you know look at the name of the of the product because business interruption is is a sort of byproduct of of property insurance uh, and and so whilst it's called business interruption it's really a, a, a kind of an add-on to a, to a property product which is why we get these um, clauses that are so difficult to to come to terms with around um, around um, whether, whether what caused the um, the interruption and so really we have to as a, as a as a profession, we have to think about how we're talking uh, to the to the public and to the and, and to consumers and to to, to SMEs first, uh, and and think about how we've always talked to each other second. So one aspect of the of the transparency good practice guide is think about the name of the product, mm. and and if we have to disrupt a few industry conventions and and get used to different names, then then I think that's a a price worth paying. That's a very good point, Matt. Does it need renaming? Because is it interruption or is it? I mean, does it pass the Ron Seal test? Does the name of the product do what it says on the tin? Absolutely, and I, and I think that's. <laughs> I think I think the lawyers would be uh, have a lot easier job to do if, if 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 from a marketing point of view we 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 applied that test really rigorously. Joanna, do you think it needs a rebrand? I do. I've had so many calls from policyholders saying, "But but my business was interrupted. Why don't I have cover?" And that's a very difficult question for us to answer. When, as you say, the the, the name's on the tin, but uh, it's not uh, it's not in the tin. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but they had business damage insurance as opposed right. to business interruption insurance. Yes. Obviously, um, what was it? This is probably this is definitely going to be a subject we'll have to revisit in the future as these cases continue to rumble through. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Insurance Post podcast. I'd like to thank Joanna and Matthew for joining us and sharing their insights on business interruption insurance. 
As always, also thanks to you for listening to the Insurance Post podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Insurance Post and following us on Facebook, LinkedIn and X. Make sure you come back next week for a discussion on embedded insurance, a mis-selling scandal waiting to happen or what all Alexa-loving consumers want in the 21st century. Until then, this is Emran Hughes signing off. The Insurance Post podcast is a product of InfoPro Digital.